Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. Uh, this morning we're going we're gonna to read out of the book of Genesis and uh, we're going to turn to chapter 18. Just put your finger in there for a minute. Who out there is a foodie? Hands up if you're a foodie. Hands up if you're married to a foodie. You know you're married to a foodie, foodie because you haven't been hungry for 20 years. Because this is me. I'm married to a foodie. And uh, I don't even remember what it feels like to be hungry anymore because I feel like I've been eating for 22 years straight. And uh, you, you, when we go on holidays and we're in deep in, in, the, in the thicket of, of uh, Rome or somewhere that we love to go and I'm thinking about the great history and Kristen's planning our next meal. And, uh, and look, and, and it's, it's the, today this, I'd love for us to focus uh, at the dining table because it's, it's where we spend a lot of our lives. And, you know, I'd like to suggest to you that um, so much of what we believe and so much of what we know about God and what he speaks to us is actually found around the table. So we're going to talk about table fellowship this morning. And I want to put a challenge out to you to see who can come up with the most examples of, um, of meals in the scripture. Because there's a lot of them. I love, I love looking at the doctrine around food and around the dinner table and around what happened. You know, it starts in the garden, doesn't it? When, you know, uh, you, know you can eat all of these things, but you can't eat this one. You know, there's lots, you know, and I, I guess, you know, and, and we see it in the positive and the negative. You see this, this inheritance meal that Jacob prepares for Isaac, but he does it, you know, um, you know he does it in a manner that's deceitful. But, he, but he ends up getting the inheritance. We see Esther preparing a meal for the king so that she can um, show him all the terrible things that Haman's done. And, you know, we see that in Psalm 23, that beautiful psalm that God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We see even Jesus, he eats with tax collectors. He goes and has a, a meal with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and, and, you know, and upsets the Jews because he's having a meal with someone who's unclean. You see the loaves and the fishes being turned into enough food for some 5,000 men plus women and children. We see the early church, you know, they broke bread together from house to house. We see Apostle Paul tells us who not to have a meal with. Don't have a meal with these guys, he says. And then we, we see right at the end, in, in the end of Revelation, we see blessed are those who invite to attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. I challenge you to go and find out how many meals there are in the Bible and why this, everything we do seems to be centred around food, doesn't it? You know, here we are, you know, partaking of the food of God's word and then we go outside after that and we partake of the food, you know, that, that's, that's out in the cafe and, and we see this spiritual food and natural food sort of, um, you know, come, it, 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 you know, hand in hand in our lives. We see the spiritual and the natural. And, and I think that, and I actually believe that God uses the simple meal to remind us that his great love, his wisdom... And his power are most visible in the simple things of life. Not necessarily, you know, we see them in the, in the great acts of God, but they're, they're most visible, I believe, in our day-to-day lives. And I think there's a, in the Psalms it talks about Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. 
and the ways of God were relational. God, Moses had spent time with God, so he knew the ways of God. And, but Israel saw the power. They loved the power, but they tended to, to ebb and flow in their relationship with God because they're waiting for the next power. But if God's present at the dinner table, if he's present at the simple things in life, we're not looking for the next great act. We appreciate the great acts when they come, but they don't define who we are and they don't define the greatness of God in our lives. We see this reflected most visibly in the Last Supper. The bread and the wine. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, this cup we proclaim. We proclaim something when we eat. What are you proclaiming at your dinner table? You know, and the, and, you know, the, the proclamation of God's great love will be seen in our lives in the dedication of the simple things, not the great things. When we, have, when we go to a wedding... We see, we see, we see a, a proclamation of a great day, a covenant. There's a great meal and these things. But, but I think God's inviting us to, to proclaim his greatness in the simple things of our life. And that's the beauty of the meal. We get, at, you know, I don't know who came up with three meals a day, but, the, but we, we tend to be there. Kristen, proper foodies have like six or seven meals a day because they don't want to miss an opportunity to find a new flavour somewhere. If you come into our home, you'll see a, on the wall a copy of a painting by a man by the name of Andre Rublev. Anyone heard of Andre Rublev? He, he's an orthodox artist and he, and he created this painting, I think it's up on the screen, it's called uh, The Trinity. It's a 600-year-old painting and I've got the original. No, I don't have the original. <laughs> the original's somewhere. Somewhere in Russia, they tell me. This painting's been an inspiration to me for many, many years. And uh, it's, you know, it's... And it, but before I talk about what it is, it, it took me a long time to convince Kristen to allow me to have it on our wall because she says, what are you doing with old religious art on the walls with Pentecostals? We need to have some, you know, some other thing up there. The painting is the artist's impression of Genesis chapter 18 where Abraham prepares a meal for the Lord. So this morning we're going to read from this chapter. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 18 and read from verse 1. And you'll see why it's important to me and I hope that you gain a similar revelation or illumination this morning. Verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre. As he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Let's stop there for a minute. Abraham, just consider who, who Abraham is. He's a, he's a, he's a serious player. He's, he's a wealthy man. He's, you know, he probably has, doesn't run too often. He has people who run for him. You know, he's, he, you know, he's also uh, not young anymore. And we'll see that later on at the same time. These guys talk about him, him and his wife having a child and, uh, you know, to the point where his wife laughs because she's that old. She's past childbearing ages, age. So here's Abraham. He sees the Lord and he runs to the Lord and bows down to him. And, you know, so just that alone is quite uh, fascinating. And the other thing is that 
Abraham recognised that these men were representing God. And immediately he responded to the gravity of God and God's presence. He didn't, he did, you don't run, you know, if you're a person of stature, you don't run uh, and bow down very easily. You, you run and bow down because you recognise that your stature is nothing compared to the stature that is before you. Sometimes we look at the power of God and I think, you know, we, because God is so relational, we get caught looking at the power of God as our right and sometimes miss the awe of God's reality. Sometimes we, we, we get caught thinking that the power of God is our right and we almost, as children, and thankfully God is so gracious, he allows us to, you know, to, to speak to him in a manner that compared to his magnificence, you know, should never be allowed. And we miss the great awe of his presence and of his magnificence and of his grandeur and of his scale and his omniscience and his omnipresence and his omnipotence. These great words that, that, ex, that describe uh, no one and nothing other than the Lord of Lords. He goes on. It says, He ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I have now found favour in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Interestingly, you know, in, we saw in the picture that there's three at the table. And uh, Abraham refers to them singularly as Lord, but, the, but there's three of them. And the reason that, that that great painting is called the Trinity is because there's, a, there's an inference there that it's uh, the first representation that we see of that God is three and one at the same time. You know, whether that's a reality or not, you can decide. But, but there's an inference that he recognises these three are representing the Lord. So hence the name the Trinity. But, so he calls them Lord. Anyway, Abraham ran and bowed, you know, and, and, and he goes there and he's this man of stature, right? Do not, he says, let me start from there again. My Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree and I'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by. Inasmuch as you have come to your servant, they said, do as you have said. Now, here's Abraham. He's a man of stature. He's got, he's got some gear behind him. He's probably, got a, you know, he's probably got a kitchen staff. He's probably got a bunch of people who do a heap of work for them. But he, he sees the Lord. And what does he offer the Lord? He offers the Lord a morsel of bread. Surely this man of stature, surely this man who's blessed by the Lord, who's got all of these, all of these, 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 these possessions behind him and this, this team behind him, surely he can come up with more than a morsel of bread for the Lord. Let's keep reading. He offers him a morsel of bread. And then verse 6, it says, So Abraham hurried into the tent of Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he prepared, and set it before them. Interesting. Abraham offers a morsel of bread to the Lord. And then he goes and prepares his best 
possible meal and presents it before the Lord. It's an interesting turn of events, isn't it? Why did he offer the Lord so little and give him so much? And I want to suggest to you this morning that Abraham knew that his very best offering, his greatest effort, his most well-prepared meal compared to the magnificence and greatness of God was like a morsel of bread. He would not dare offer the Lord anything less than his best but he would also never dream of declaring his best good in comparison to the Lord. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You know, when I leave our home each day, I glance at this painting, 600-year-old painting from the 15th century on the wall, and I'm reminded that this is the day that the Lord has made. I love walking out saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. So in essence, the Lord, is, the Lord owns this day. And, it, and my best offering to the Lord is like a morsel of bread. But because it's the Lord, I, I know nothing I can do is in comparison to who he is. But I also know that I must give my best also at the same time. There's a humility. We humble ourselves before the Lord. We give the Lord our best in full acknowledgement that our best compared to him is like a morsel of bread. It's an amazing thing to consider, isn't it? You, you know, and, and see, the, the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, the outward appearance from, from everybody else, when Abraham went and prepared you know, that meal, they would have seen Abraham preparing his best meal for the Lord. But what did the Lord see? The Lord saw and acknowledged that when he made the offering, he offered, he gave everything and, and, and acknowledged that his everything was nothing compared to the Lord. Can you grasp the gravity of this revelation? The Lord wants us to see what he sees when he looks at us. He loves us with a love we cannot explain. He gives us all things that pertain to, to life and godliness. His, his mercies know no, you know, they're new every morning. His grace knows no bounds. His peace goes beyond our understanding. Everything that the Lord is, is so far beyond our capacity that anything that we can offer him compared to that is so small. And it, it's humbling you know, that, isn't it humbling that, 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 you know, we go and give our very best to the king and he, he receives it with thanks, with gladness? What a great privilege that the Lord receives our worship. My prayer every Sunday is, that, is simply that, that as we come together as one, that he would receive our worship. It goes on, it says, And Abraham said it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Abraham didn't presume to even participate in the meal. He just stood there and watched them eat. He gave them this amazing meal. And then he stood there like the paparazzi and watched them eat this amazing meal. He never considers this a transaction. And there's something that's very difficult for us because we live in a transactional society. You know, he, he, where he, make, he doesn't assume that when he makes God a meal, he's going to also get a seat at the table with the Lord. Bizarrely, the Lord doesn't even offer him a seat. The Lord allows him. Because, you know, because you know, the, the, the Lord 
we don't, you know, the Lord, Christ hasn't come yet. The Holy Spirit, he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't have the Lord's righteousness to sit at the table with him yet. So he doesn't allow him to sit, to sit, at, that, at, sit at that table with him. What does Abraham show us then? He shows us here that our offering, our effort, our worship, our praise, our work for the Lord is our reasonable response to the living God. It's not a transaction. We don't, we, we, if, we, when we, if we require something, if we ever say those words to the Lord, look at everything that I've done for you, Lord. You know, we're in deep trouble at that point, aren't we? We, we, know, we've, we know we've got things out of order. Because God says, you know, we see in Romans 12, it's our reasonable service. Give our bodies as a living sacrifice because it is our reasonable service. In no way is there any expectation for a response from God. He was quite content to make the Lord this amazing meal and then to sit off, lean against the tree and just watch the Lord. It's hard. We live in such a transaction-based society. The word of the day in our society is quid pro quo. I do something for you, you do something for me. Most famously um, declared by the great Vito Corleone, someday, and that day may never come, I will call upon you to do a service for me. But until that day, Accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. You see, we have these things where we give you, I give you something, you give me something. And even if you don't give me something straight away, maybe at some point you're going to owe me. That day may never come, but it may come. Abraham's response when he sees God is to prepare a table for the Lord and not even to assume that he needs a seat at that table. It was an act of worship, a grand example of how to approach the Lord. I want to suggest to you this morning that our approach to worship, our approach to the Lord, you know, it's, it's found in our unconditional response to the greatness of God. And the way that we do that is we continue to grow in our appreciation of who God is, what God's done, his character, his nature, his magnificence, creation. Take a moment to, to, to stand in nature and look at the beauty of his creation. Take a moment to stand in the midst of great architecture and appreciate that his creation, no long, not just his creation is beautiful, but what his creation creates can also be beautiful. Take a moment to consider the cross. Take a moment to consider the great sacrifice. Take a moment to consider that even though mankind is continually rejecting the Lord and his ways and his acts, the door is still wide open. Behold, he still stands at the door and knocks, we read in Revelation 3. You know, we, there's, a, there's a beauty in an unconditional gift of worship to the Lord. There's a beauty in our worship. And I love it when we come together. There's a beauty in our corporate worship where we, where we not only have the revelation that we, are, uh, that, that we acknowledge the Lord, we're also acknowledging that the only reason that we are coming together, the only area that we can find unity is around Christ. So that's one painting. Let's look at another famous painting. The first painting we have is in our uh, granny flat. The next one I'm going to try and put in our main house. And it's, you may have heard, it's called The Last Supper. 
by uh, Leonardo da Vinci, a good Italian. Unfortunately, the current value of the original is 450 million. Um, so I'm going to get a copy of that one as well. So we saw the table of Abraham. Now we look at the table of Jesus. Luke 22, 14. When the hour had come, he sat down, the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is Jesus' last meal before he, before he gets taken to the cross. His last meal before his execution. You know, we see that in, you know, in, in countries that have capital punishment. Well, it's on the movies. Anyway, I'm not sure the reality. You know, they get to choose what their last meal is going to be. And Jesus doesn't even talk about the meal. He talks about his fervent desire before he goes into that space is to spend that time and eat that meal with his disciples, with those he loved, with those he did ministry with, with those he, he walked the last three years with. We see that Jesus truly loved his disciples. They weren't just a bunch of scallywags that, that, you know, that drove him up the wall while he did the ministry. He had a fervent love for them. And he desired, if I'm going to have a last meal, I want to have it with you guys. When he took the cup and he said, share it among yourselves, he was highlighting to them the importance of unity. He was highlighting to them the importance of unity in the day-to-day, not just in the great things, not just in in the attendance of church and the singing together, but in the day-to-day lives. How are you going to to create unity around the dinner table? How are you going to create unity for those who have and those who don't have? He was highlighting to them that they will need to encourage each other in the simple things, not just in the great things. Love one another. And as you do that, as your love is visible to the world, they will see that you're my disciples. It's easy to love someone, you know, who, who you agree with, but do you love those who you disagree with? Is it, you know, you, it forces you to love someone who you disagree. You've got to find a point of unity. You've got to find a point of unity. And the point of unity is always Jesus. We can love someone who doesn't know Jesus with the love of Jesus, and we can love someone who we disagree with who knows Jesus because we both share that love. It's everywhere, isn't it? Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. You know, share your food and drink until I return and we can eat together again. The early church was established around the unity of Christ. It talks about, they, you know, they took the challenge that Jesus gave the disciples. He said, share it among yourselves. What it say? It says they broke bread from house to house. With gladness and simplicity of heart. Sometimes we get caught in the detail and forget the simplicity of including God in our day-to-day moments of life. How do you how do you live a spiritual life? You know, you get the pastor every Sunday gets up there and tells you to be more spiritual, and you kind of go, yeah, well. But during the week, I got all these things I got to get done. I got to go to work. I got to cook this, and got to, you know, discipline the children, and and you know, and 
mow the lawn and there's a million things that you need to do that seem very unspiritual. And in this life that, that is very practical and very natural and full of challenges and, and earthly things that we've got to consider and, and bring logic to and answers and solutions, how do we spiritualize these things? He says, well, why don't you just start with a meal? And then why don't you just share that meal with somebody else? The old monks would say, greet everyone as you would greet Christ. The essence of the table is less to do with food, more to do with the relational statement that you're making before the Lord. You know, I love great reminders. You know, we, we did a, there was a, a vision we had maybe six or seven years ago that we spoke about a little item called a mezuzah that the, that the Jews would nail to the doorpost of their home. And in that, in that, there was a little piece of scripture out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 that was inside that mezuzah. And every time they walked in their house and out of the house, there was a reminder of who they were, that they were God's people, that they were, you know, that, you know, that, that they were called and that they were, that they were blessed. You know, and as they went in, they were reminded not to take the world into the home. And as they went out, they were reminded to take the Lord with them out into their work. I want to encourage you this morning to figure out in your life, where are the reminders that remind you as you go into the world, as you come out of the world? I go and pray with a bunch of monks over in Perth once every time the borders open. And, they, and, they, and there's a rule that they have in the monastery that if you go out into the world, because they live in there, so they live in this bubble, you know, but every now and then they're allowed to go out into the world. And when they go into the world, you know, they'll, they'll experience the things of the world. And the rule says when you come back into the monastery... You're not allowed to speak about what you have seen because we don't want to contaminate the house of God with the things of the world. So when you come back in, you don't talk about the world. You submit, to your, you submit yourself in silence to prayer and to worship and allow the God to cleanse you of what you've experienced. I think sometimes we get caught trying to solve the challenges of the world instead of surrender ourselves to the King of all kings and allow him to cleanse us with what only he can cleanse us with. And where does he invite us each and every Sunday? He invites us, invites us to the table of the Lord. He invites us to, to, to get refreshed. It's a time of refreshing where we examine ourselves. And we're about to do that in about one minute. You know, and we, we come around the Lord's table and, and we surrender ourselves once again. See, a lot of times in life, we're not, it's not just about the eternal decision. We've made this eternal connection to the King of Kings. We're in relationship. We're, we're eternal bound. But we still get caught in the, the minutiae of the day-to-day. We still get caught in the mundane. We still get caught in the, in the attitudes of today and, and yesterday and, and, and you know, reacting to one another and liking this and not liking that and the different flavours that we all love. And Jesus is saying, take a moment. Gather around the table. Look at your life and allow me to cleanse you, to refresh you. Because the world does only one thing, just makes you dirty. 
And that's what it's meant to do. The world's the world. You go out there, you get your hands dirty, you interact with, with the world, and, you know, and, and a little bit little bits and pieces sort of get on you and then we come before the Lord and we come cleansed. Interestingly, the blood of Jesus makes us white as snow. The blood of the world makes us all red and dirty and ends up going black, whereas the blood of Jesus makes us white and cleansed and whole. We see the table of Abraham how we can come into a place where we respond to the magnificence of God with our best, never forgetting that our best compared to him is very little. And then we acknowledge the table of the Lord where he invites us into his world, into his family. He invites us to constantly remember that moment where he passed, where where he sacrificed for us, that we become cleansed through his sacrifice. There's nothing you can do for the Lord that's good enough to get you cleansed. That's good enough to get to, for God to invite you back. So, so what do we see from Abraham? Abraham, he realises that there's nothing he can give God that's worthy of a return. So when he speaks of it, he acknowledges that, Lord, I'm going to give you my very best, but I acknowledge that this is not a trade. This is just my natural response to your eternal magnificence. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes afresh this morning to your greatness. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes beyond the transactional nature of humanity. Lord, where we where we've tried to get into a a, a quid pro quo with you, Lord, we repent before you right now and we seek to acknowledge that you are the Lord of lords, that you are the giver of life, that you are creator of all things, that when, when you say, let there be light, there is light. And when you speak, no word that that comes from your mouth will ever return void. So so we hang ourselves on your word and we acknowledge this morning right now as we enter communion where your word became flesh and your flesh became a sacrifice so that we could engage in relationship with you. We thank you that we are free and we are free indeed because of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, for the hearts and the minds that are in this place, for those who are caught in logic, for those who are caught in regret, for those who who are are caught in pride, for those who have done great things and those who haven't done much, Lord, we just ask that you would recenter us this morning on your goodness. We ask that our eyes be closed to our own past and our eyes be opened to your greatness. As we come together around your table, We proclaim who you are and your will in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching, that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.